we're continuing this series called Stand. Does it really matter what you believe? And this morning, I want to go into the question that is asked most often, and that is, why does God allow evil and suffering in the world? Why does, why does God even allow it in, in the world? And it's a question that's not just on the minds of everyone here, Christians and people of faith, and we, as we grow in our walk, we ask these questions. This is a question that's asked by almost everyone on the planet. Why is it that we have evil and suffering in our world? Let me, let me share some things that I've learned over the years. This, is, this one's important. Um, this question is not primarily an intellectual question. It took me a long time to figure that out, but it's not primarily an intellectual question. It's also an emotional question. And if you don't deal, if you don't, if you don't deal with the emotional aspect and res- recognize the emotional aspect of this question, then all of your answers will fall short. As people come to you and they'll, they'll talk to you and they'll ask you, that's one of the first things they'll say. If they find out you're a, a, a follower and you have faith, they'll say, well, if there's a God, then... And in a lot of times you see it as an attack or an affront or they're being arrogant or they're just being argumentative. Now, in some cases that may be true, but in most cases it's not. They actually have probably asked that question so many times and not gotten a straight answer. And so their, their response is, in some of it's frustration. And the reason it's frustrating is not because intellectually they really need to know that, because emotionally they really need to know that. This is an emotional question. The question comes from the heart, not just from the mind. I would say it comes more from the heart than it does the mind. So what I want to do in this sermon is I want to lay the foundation because there's no possible way this question can be answered adequately in one sermon. Can't be done. So we're going to go over the next few weeks. So, But I want to lay a foundation for us um, when it comes to the question of evil and suffering. Suffering and evil are linked, okay? They are, they're linked. Last week we said that when, um, when a person addresses the question of evil, what they're doing is they, they assume a reference point. When you, when you use the word evil, you assume a reference point, a moral law. If you assume something is evil, then you assume a reference point, which is a moral law that determines what is good and evil. And then logically, to a moral law giver, God. But see, the problem is for the skeptic, and sometimes we come up against skeptics or atheists or whatever, and they have these questions. For the skeptics, that's what they're trying to disprove, the existence of God. That's what they're trying to disprove. See, if there's, if there's no moral law giver, this kind of breaks down for them. If there's no moral law giver, then there's no moral law. If there's no moral law, there is no good. If there is no good, there is no evil. And the question itself becomes meaningless. So as soon as they ask the question, if you don't start with a moral law giver, gets rid of the moral law that determines what's good and evil. And so the question itself becomes meaningless. And that's what we have to understand what we have to deal with. As we walk through this question, we want to walk it through rationally and reasonably and logically with people and help them understand the foundation of the question itself. So first off, we want to make sure that we understand that. If you do not believe in God, then you, do, then you don't believe that there's a moral law. If you don't believe there's a moral law, then how can you talk about evil and good, Right? The question itself then becomes meaningless. Why is there evil and suffering in the world? That's number one, okay? In a Christian worldview, we believe, okay, because this is really the opposing worldviews. In a Christian worldview, we believe that in the beginning, God created. 
with purpose, with intent, with design. It was God who created with those things. It was God who brought, in a sense, brought about the created order of being. God ushered in the created order. God is the first cause of all things. The, The believer, the follower of Christ, believes that God is the first cause of all things. He caused everything to come into being. The alternative view is as follows. In the beginning, nothing. Okay? In the beginning, there, if there is no God, in the beginning, nothing. No, no intent, no purpose, no design. Okay? Random acts and chances. It just starts with nothing. Yet from nothing came the universe. And as the universe, you know, burst into existence from nothing, um, you ended up with the world and you end up with this primordial slime. OK, and from the primordial slime. And this is this is nothing became something. And then and then and then something gradually moved up the scale of complexity. And you have thought that just emerged and then consciousness. I mean, the ability to think through, hey, wait, and actually ask the question that you're asking or that I'm bringing up this morning. If there's a God, then why is there evil and suffering? All of a sudden, the the capability is there because now you have us and you have us and everything from nothing. You have to have a first cause. Christians believe the first cause of all things is God. God is eternal. Don't ask me to explain it. But then I want, if, if you get upset by that, now I want, you, I want you to explain to me how nothing is eternal, okay, and sprung into existence from nothing. Nothing plus nothing is nothing, but nothing created something. Something got gradually, you know, more complex, and all of a sudden I'm standing up here having an intellectual conversation with you this morning, okay? Honestly, I think it takes more faith to believe in nothing than it does in a God, but that's just me. Um, so we have, here's what we have. We have in the beginning nothing, or in the beginning, God. And, and from, from those two points of view, from those two starting points, we have to understand why we have evil and suffering in the world. From those two vantage points, from those two starting points, we have to understand why we hurt and why we bleed and why we suffer and why we die. Those are your two vantage points, okay? Okay. And people will say, well, you know, the Bible ignores it. And the Bible doesn't, you know, here's the thing. Without God, you can ask the question, but it cannot be answered. You take God out of the equation. Why even bother asking the question in the first place? But without God, the question cannot be answered. And my response to people will say the Bible ignores it. It does not ignore it. The Bible, the Bible does not ignore a great deal of attention. A great deal, a great deal of attention is given to the reality of suffering. It is not hidden in the Bible. It is not dismissed at all, at all. In the Old Testament, there are a lot of questions raised about suffering. There are a lot of concerns raised about suffering. The books of Jeremiah and Habakkuk and Job are filled with these kinds of questions. It was filled with this subject. Almost one-third of the Psalms that we read, the, the prayers of the Old Testament, are, are, they, they come out of, they, 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 they're cries that come from discouragement and disappointment and pain and, and difficulty and suffering. You read, through the, you read through the Psalms and you hear David is anguish in his heart. Lord, why? Why is it that the evil prosper? Lord, why is it? Why am I feeling? Why am I going through this? God, help me to understand. 
Go through those. Go through the Old Testament. It is not hidden. It is not laid off to the side and ignored. It is addressed. But when it comes to the New Testament, however, um, we don't seem to find the same questions and the same concerns, if you will, or reactions. Not that it's I'm not saying it's eliminated, but you don't seem to find the same questions and the same reactions as you do in the Old Testament, especially if you look at it from those who are closest to Jesus Christ. That's extremely important. You still have it, no question about it. It's still there. But you don't seem to have the same intensity. You don't really have the same questions as much as you did in the Old Testament. Now, that's not saying they're completely gone, they're completely eliminated, but there seems to be a, not seems to be, there is a peace and a joy and a, and a, and a, and a contentment and a, and a confidence and a hope that is there that wasn't there before. And you have to ask yourself, why, why is that? There's a hope that not even the greatest suffering can overwhelm in the New Testament. Something, something made a dramatic difference. And the answer is clear. In the New Testament, God has a face in Jesus Christ. Things change. There's a dramatic change there. He makes himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. And so those who, if you look at it, those who are closest to Christ, they talk about it, you know, they talk about suffering and they talk about all those things. But in Christ, they're able to overcome. There's this confidence. There's this joy. There's this peace. There's this contentment in their suffering because God now has a face in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, I want to keep building this, this framework and I want to talk about love and freedom because all of these kind of help us lay a foundation for sitting down and discussing this with the people around us. So let's talk about, let's talk about love and, and freedom. Christians believe that we were created to exist and to experience a, a relationship, a loving relationship with God and with others. We were designed, we were created, we were purposed to exist in loving relationship with God and others. However, love cannot exist without the freedom to choose to love or not to love. You have to have the ability to choose to love or not to love. If you want someone to love you, you can't say, you have to love me. You can't say, love me or else. You know, sometimes we'd like, it'd be a lot easier if we could just, you know, bang, snap, you know, you know kind of thing, and a person has to love you. That's not the way it works. That's not the way we were designed in creating us. God loved us enough to allow us to reject. He gave us the freedom to reject that love. Without the ability, without the freedom to accept or reject love, you don't have love. See, the problem is we have taken this freedom that God has given us and we have distorted it. We've distorted it. We've turned away from God and we've misused this gift of free will. And therein lies part of the problem. Instead of choosing to love God, we choose alternatives to God. In Isaiah 53 and verse 6, it says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We have turned away from God. See, here's the thing. We are not only free to turn away from God, we are free to stay away from God. That's our choice. And then what happens, though, in that many of the things that we struggle with, 
are brought about by our own choices. We choose to reject God. We choose to replace God. We choose to stay away from God. The world will do that on a regular basis. And then things will happen that we choose, but it's our choice. Suffering is not God's choice. It is our choice. That was our choice. Okay, I'm going to keep building. See, when you talk about freedom, it does something else. When you have this idea of, of freedom to choose, it leads us back to our other problem. That is the problem of evil. As soon as you have the ability to choose, you fall into this, this dilemma that we now have the problem of evil. See, the question is actually twofold. The problem is twofold. You have the problem of evil and you also have the problem of suffering. I want you to think about it. Think about this. Who is responsible for most of the suffering on this planet? Think about it. This is extremely important. As you're sitting down and talking to people, if there is a God, then why? If there is a God, then why? If there is a God. And one of the things you want to do is you've got to ask the question, who is responsible for most of the suffering in this world? Who is responsible for World War I and World War II and the Vietnam War? Um, I'm not talking about nations. I'm talking about in general. Who's responsible for Rwanda, for Darfur? Who's responsible for 9-11, all the terrorism going on around the world? Who's responsible for all the wars? You know, the 20th century was the bloodiest century in the history of humanity. You know why? Because they came up with this concept they tried to shove and push, which God is dead. There is no God. And so you had maniacs throughout the 20th century who now jumped on that and said, hey, wait a second. If there is no God, then guess what? Humans have no value. Therefore, I can slaughter millions of people who have no value other than the value I give them. I feel they're inferior, so I'll load them up on trains and put them in gas chambers or whatever else I want to do because now humans don't have value. Why? Because God is dead. And when you take God, again, we take God out of the equation, everything else, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil. Bloodiest century in the history of humanity was the 20th century. Because of that. So who, again, who, who has caused most of the suffering in your past? Think about it. Why, why, are, you, why are you struggling now in your life? Because a lot of you, because of your past. Who caused the suffering in your past? Who causes most of your suffering now? <laughs> yeah, you don't have to, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just keep processing through that. You know, here, here's an interesting thing. Um, I would submit to you that not uh, so because some of you think oh, that's that's too simplistic. This is a this is laying a foundation. This isn't answering every single. So here's my I would submit to you that not all suffering in the world is caused by humanity. Okay, by people. All right, but I would submit to you after studying this a the large the large percentage of it is okay is caused by people. I love it when people say to me, well, if there's a God, this, this, when I was, since I was a baby Christian, this is what people would say to me once they knew I, was a, I went to church. Well, if there's a God, then why are those children starving in Africa? And they get so emotionally charged about it. You know, why? I see that picture of that little kid, like all emaciated, and there was a buzzard sitting on a log, and, and man, I took a picture of it. Why, there's a God, why are these children starving in Africa? And I say, I, now I, I used to kind of, you know, try to explain it. Now here's what I say. Be really careful with how you ask that question, the attitude with which you ask that question, because when you get to heaven, that's the first question God's going to ask you. The United States, because I studied this, the United States could feed the world twice over if it chose to. 
Feed the entire world twice over. I'm not picking on the United States either. We are the most generous country of the world has ever seen when it comes to how much money we give. Forget how much our government gives. Us as individuals, how much we give to charity blows everyone else out of the water. So I'm not picking on the states. I'm just saying, I know the United States can feed the world twice over. Why don't we? The answer, economic politics. That's why. Even when we give food to people who are in in, in impoverished places that are starving to death, even when we give it, warlords take the food, they put it in a big building, and they use it to manipulate and keep people under their reign. So... Who is it that is causing the starvation all around the world when things go wrong? I don't see anybody. I know we had a, we had some uh, some really dry droughts in the in the in the wet in California places like that. I don't. They're not starving to death. So why is it that people will say if there's a God, then if the world can if the United States can feed the world twice? There are people say people said to me, you know, there's children that go to bed. If there's a God. There's children in America go to bed every night hungry. I, that one I, I'm, I'm mind-boggled by. The richest, the most affluent, the most powerful country the world has ever known. And there are children who go to bed hungry. I, 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 before, before God, I can't point the finger at the Lord on this one and say, gee, Lord, why is that? There, if you were, there, you were a loving God, how could you let those poor kids go to, go to, go to bed every night hungry? A lot of it's our choice. See, the Bible teaches us that we are free and we are responsible. We are free, responsible beings. And with that freedom, with that freedom, sometimes, I'm not going to make a blanket statement because it's true. Sometimes we choose evil over good. Sometimes we choose selfishness over love. Sometimes we choose greed over God. Sometimes. And in that sometimes, though, in that choice to choose greed over God, evil over good, selfishness over love, it causes a lot, a lot of pain. We make those choices on our own, and then we blame. We make the choice to, hey, we can't feed everyone for goodness sake. We bury, we big, big holes and bury food to keep the prices of food at a certain point. I'm not, I'm not going to argue the moral and ethics of that. I'm just saying it's done. We big, dig a hole, kill either the animals or kill, throw the grain there. We bury it. Why? Because we have to keep the prices at a certain point. We make those choices and then we blame God for the consequences. You know, all these people run around sometimes like, you know, there's God and why is he, why are these kids starving? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? Why? Just lovingly and respectfully ask them somehow, what do you do? How do you, you are so passionate about this. You're so passionate, you put your, now don't do this because that will just make them mad. You're so passionate about it that you put your place in a judgment over God. You are judging God. And so my question is, if you're so awesome that you would judge God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Sometimes, if you can figure out how to say that, I've done it, and I've said it much nicer, okay? I put it, I was really thought through, I said, well, you know, how are you helping to, what can we do together maybe to, to in, impact the lives of children around the world? We're doing some things, maybe you can get involved. You know, one person told me one time, I said, why don't you come on a mission trip with me? We can, you know, they, you know, they said, the only time I'm going to get on a plane and go to a place that's warm is if I'm laying on the beach. 
I said, yeah. Exactly. But if there's a God, he's not laying on the beach. I can tell you that right now. See, the Bible emphasizes strongly the link between evil and suffering. And we live, we live in a fallen world, and we are a fallen race. The fall came from humanity. We live in a fallen world. We are a fallen race. We are capable, whether, whether a person is an atheist or an agnostic or a believer, people, because they're created in the image of God, whether they realize it or not, are capable of such good things. They're capable of doing amazing, incredibly good things. But somehow and sometimes, sometimes we choose not to. We choose ourselves over others and we don't do those good things and we then become a part of the problem. See, we like to think, we all like to, I'm not picking on you guys, I'm just saying it in general and I'm including myself in all of this, but we like to think it's the the cause of of evil and suffering of those people. It's this side of the room. You know know what I'm talking about, God? You know what I'm talking about. It's It's those people. It's those people. It's those people who cause all the evil and all the suffering in the world. It's, it's those people. But honestly, all of us on this side of the room need to look no further than our own hands and our own hearts sometimes, right? It's not those people. It's all of us choosing to do that. And then people ask, well, then why doesn't God just wipe out all evil and suffering in the world? At this point, I can get each one of you to come up here. I'll put the mic on you and you could answer that question, right? You could. Why doesn't God just wipe it all out? Just, you know, just, just get rid of it all. To end the evil and suffering in the world, he would have to eliminate the cause of evil and suffering in the world. And where does the majority of evil and suffering come from? So you, in order to end evil and suffering, you have to eliminate the cause of suffering. Raise your hand. Who wants to go first? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've ever caused anyone harm, suffering, any kind of thing that would be not positive and hurt, harm them. Raise your hand up if you've done that before. Raise your hand up and come down there and pull it up for you. <laughs> right? right? Right, exactly. I raised both my hands. Okay, right. We, so God, the solution to that is, why doesn't God just wipe out all evil in the world? Because he has to start with me. And it's for that reason that God has not yet intervened to end the evil and suffering in this world. It's, it's for that reason he has not yet intervened to bring suffering and uh, to bring an elimination of suffering once and for all. It's, that's the reason. See, we, we worship, we truly worship a God who is just and a God who is loving. We do worship that God. And the Bible is clear that one day, one day, he will eliminate those things, but now is not the time. I don't, I can't answer you say, well, when is Jesus coming back? It seems so. I don't know. I don't know. But I know that God, my God has a plan and my God has already responded to the question. I just don't know when it's going to happen and come to fruition because I know this in his grace, in his mercy, in his love, in his patience, he is allowing us. He gives us the opportunity to change our hearts and to come to him. God is patient. God is loving. God wants us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. God wants us to use the good that he's put in our hearts because we're in his image to impact the lives of other people. You see, it's because of this inseparable link between suffering and evil that God could not deal with the one. He can't deal with the one without taking care of the other. Can't deal with the evil. These are inseparably linked, evil and suffering. 
You can't deal with one without taking care of the other. And the other is right here. So just a quick note. I want to say another quick note because some of you may be thinking, you know, gosh, you're making this so simplistic in the sense of people are responsible for everything. Now, I didn't say that, number one. And number two, let me explain this as well. This is just a little, a little, side, a little side note. I know that not all suffering in the world is caused by people. But we do live in a fallen world caused by people. And we live in a fallen creation. And because we live in that fallen world, it is, it is basically filled with, if you will, defects, natural disasters, and deterioration. I mean, you look around every time, you know, tsunamis and all these things. We live in a fallen world, so part of the cause of suffering in the world is that fallen world. Even deterioration. I was talking to a couple of friends uh, earlier, and we were talking about, ooh, my elbow. And, you know, as you get older, you, you kind of, as much as you don't want to, there's deterioration, and it's harder to heal. And when something happens, it's easier to break something. I mean, it's just part of the existence that we have. Now, uh, I, I'm, I can't go into that in greater detail this morning, but we will later on. I just wanted to point that out, so if you're sitting here going, well, people, how about this? And how about the natural disasters? Absolutely. Those, those happen, but there's an answer for that as well. I just wanted to bring that up this morning to kind of give you that so that you wouldn't walk out of here going, well, that wasn't really complete. And I still have some of these questions. you still are at the end of this sermon. You still will, but I promise we'll go through it methodically over the next couple of weeks. So here's, here's another thing. If you don't believe in God, what I'm going to say next may be a more, a little more difficult for you to Maybe more difficult for you to understand, maybe more difficult for you to grasp, if you will. But for me, I can have a peace and a contentment in my life, knowing that the God that I serve is just, okay, and that He is loving. And listen, He has already acted to deal with the problem of suffering and evil, regardless of its origin. You live in a fallen world, people cause most of the problems, you have the enemy Satan, all the, regardless of the cause, where it originated, God has already acted to deal with the problem, and he's done that through his son, Jesus Christ. And in doing that, he has ultimately guaranteed the removal of suffering. Because of what God has done, how God has responded, he has ultimately guaranteed, done, done, guaranteed the elimination of evil in the world. See, the God who gave us, stick with me on this theological line now, the God who gave us this freedom to choose now takes upon himself the consequences of our choices. That's God's plan. He gave us the ability to choose. We chose poorly. God then takes on the consequences of our choices. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, it says this, For Christ died for our sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus suffered during our greatest need, during our time of greatest need, and that for him meant the, meant the greatest possible suffering. We talked about this last week. His death on the cross was the greatest possible suffering, not because they nailed him to a cross and, ow, my, my wrists hurt, or my hands hurt, or my feet hurt, but because of what he did. This is the one, what we're talking about here is the, one of the main reasons. This is, you're talking about fallen world. What is God's response to a fallen world? That's a hurting world, a world that is now separated from him. His response is Jesus Christ. That's God's response. That's God's answer to the question. See, the problem of reconciling human suffering 
with the existence of God. See, the, the philosophers and atheists want to say, well, if there's suffering, it just proves that there's no God kind of thing. The, 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 the problem with reconciling human suffering with the existence of God is only without solution if you don't understand the definition or the meaning of love. For the Christian, love, we answer the question of love by looking at the cross. Our definition of love, the greatest expression of love, is the cross of Jesus Christ. That for the Christian, that is our understanding. That is our foundation. That is what, how we define love. It's the cross. Evil and suffering are ultimately conquered through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you will, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is, an excla- is the exclamation point. That's God's exclamation point to answering the question. I want you to think about this too. Here's what, here's, here's the, here's what I'm trying to point out to you. Here, here's here's, here's the, the point that I'm really trying to make. When, I, when, we, when, when you answer the question of the problem of suffering... You, you don't ask it just from an intellectual standpoint. The answer to the question of suffering is not a concept, and God understands that. It's not a concept. The answer to the problem of suffering is a person. This is the incredible plan that God has designed and put into place. When, when I'm trying to point out that we go through all these things and we suffer, and and how does God respond? The answer to our question of suffering is so emotional. It is so intense. We don't ask it in a vacuum. We ask it because we've been through things. We've experienced things. We look around and say, why and why and why? But we we ask the question in the context of a relationship, and God's response is not to answer us with some intellectual concept, but with a person, relationally. Again, I want you to think about this. When you raise the question of suffering, you raise the question of suffering within the context of someone. Think about this. Why did God, the context of someone, God, why did he? Why didn't he? Why couldn't he? You ask the question in the context of relationship. You ask the question in the context of someone, not something, not some context, not some, not some, some concept. We all do that. When people ask you, well, if why doesn't he or why couldn't you ask in the context of relationship? We just don't ask the question. We ask it in the context of a relationship. God's answer was not just to give us words. God's answer was not just to give us concepts. God's answer was to give us a person, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. If you can intellectually think this through, it is the only answer that is acceptable. That is the answer that is acceptable. When I suffer... It's so hard to to kind of explain some of this stuff. You know it in your heart. When I suffer, I want relationship. That's what I'm crying out for. When I see people suffering around the world, when I when when we when we when we cry out, why? Oh, why is this happening? It isn't it isn't a cry from the head. It's a cry from the heart. Why God? Why God? Why God? It's a cry for relationship, for understanding. See, I truly believe that is at the heart of the question. The Bible says that we should weep with those who weep. That we should enter into each other's suffering. 
And as I was studying it, even, even this morning, it came to my mind, where did Jesus Christ, if we're supposed to conform to the image of Christ, where did Jesus spend so much of his time? What did Jesus spend so much of his time doing? Ignoring the question, ignore the question of suffering? Ignoring the people who are suffering? Or did he go to sinners, those who were, those who were, were outcast by, our cult, by their culture? Did he go to those who were sick? Did he raise people? He, he responded to the question of suffering with his life when he lived and with his death. God's answer to the question of suffering is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. God now in the New Testament has a face. He has a face. See, here's the thing. All the intellectual questions or answers I could give you, all the intellectual questions I could possibly give you, pale in comparison to divine or even human compassion, human caring, human comfort. I could sit here and I could tell you things and I, wow, you'd grasp it and you cognitively and you'd put it in there and it would be, it'd be really interesting. But all of that pales in comparison to divine or even human compassion, kindness, love, mercy, caring, that's it. I mean, I mean, I mean throw one, another thought out to you here. Um, even if I could give you the reason for why you lost your child, and I could tell you all the good, all the good that came from, I just had, God just downloaded, I have the mind of Christ, and you lost that child, for example, and even if I could tell you why it happened and give you all the good that would come out of it, which is not, that's, I'm not belittling that. It's so important that we know, we understand why certain things happen sometimes and, and the good that came out of someone came to know Christ and, and, uh, and there's a foundation that's built in the person's name and, and thousands of people are being saved and thousands of lives are being transformed. And, you know, and I, all that's good, it's all good. But if I told you and had all of the intellectual answers, would it eliminate your suffering? No. Would it eliminate all your suffering? The answer is no. Would it eliminate some over time? Yes. Would it eliminate all your suffering? The answer without is an emphatic, absolute, positively no. See, the mind can never totally reconcile what the heart can experience. Incapable. We are incapable of reconciling what a heart can experience. And that's where the, answer, that's where the question comes from. That's where the question comes from. Let me, let me close with a story here. It's in the book, Why Do People Suffer? James Jones tells a story of a, of, a, of a school that collapsed, killing all the teachers and most of the children. There was a little boy who was badly injured and rushed to the hospital. For hours, a team of doctors and nurses did everything they could to save the little boy's life while his mother waited anxiously outside the operating room. After seven hours of surgery, the little boy died. Instead of letting someone else go out and tell the mother who lost uh, her son all this news, the surgeon went himself. As he broke the horrible news, the mother became hysterical. And in her grief and pain, she attacked the surgeon. She beat on his chest with her fists. But he didn't push her away. Instead, the doctor held her to himself tightly until her uncontrollable sobbing, sobbing ended and she rested exhausted in his arms. 
In that moment, the surgeon began to weep with the mother, tears streaming down his face as his own grief overwhelmed him. What no one knew was that he had come to the hospital right after finding out that his only son had been killed in the same school. See, when we feel, when we feel angry toward God, the times that we feel angry toward God, we need to understand that God is not dismissing himself from our suffering. God is not dismissing himself. God is entering into our suffering. He is not some, he's not some, some cosmic spirit floating, out, floating around watching things happen from a distance. From a distance, we all blah, 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 blah. Nice song, completely wrong. It isn't from a distance. Jesus Christ enters into our suffering. God the Father has entered into our suffering. He has not dismissed himself from our suffering. He intensely feels it. He understands it. In John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. He loved us so much because there's a separation. And because of that separation, we have sin, we have suffering, we have evil. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, put it this way. There cannot... People will say, there cannot be a God of love, people say, because if there was, and he looked upon the world, his heart would break. The church points to the cross and says, it did break. Now, in our time this morning, I have only scratched the surface, only scratched the surface in answering this question. We're going to talk about it on Wednesday night at our Wednesday morning at 7 o'clock at our men's group. I know the life groups are going over it as well. We'll come back here next Sunday and we're going to talk about this idea, this whole concept, this whole reality of suffering and evil um, next week. But I want to share something with you that I really don't want you to miss, and I really don't want you to miss this. Um, I asked Carly Crane to come and speak next Sunday with me. So she'll be sharing. Carly was a young woman who, when she was in high school, 17, was attacked by a large Akita, a large dog, and suffered physical, emotional, and I'm sure spiritual scars, if you will, from that. And when we talk about this question, we're talking about it from a, 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 a standpoint of our emotion, our, our, how we feel. We're talking about it from a point of relationship. And next week, instead of going through another maybe intellectual kind of laying it out argumentatively a little bit here. I want to spend almost all of our time next week talking through that. How, do, how did God help you go from where you were physically, emotionally in your life and the hurt and the pain and the suffering? How did God move, help move you from here to here? That's what we're going to be talking about because when people ask you the question, that's really what they're asking. I'm hurting. I'm suffering. I'm overwhelmed. Where's God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together. And we thank you, Lord, that we can address a question as significant as this. God, I, I come before you and, and humbly admit my inadequacy when it comes to trying to, to get to the heart of the question that people ask. I pray that you just give wisdom as we go through the series that you would use others, Lord God, to bring wisdom to this question as well, to bring understanding. 
I pray that through our life groups and through our men's and women's Bible studies and through discussions that we have as families, that your word would guide us and direct us, Lord God, to help us understand how we can reach out to a hurting world and answer some of the most difficult questions that they have. God, we love you. We trust you. We know you're going to use us. As limited as we are, we know that you're going to use us to impact this world for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before you get up, I'm going to close off. We are, this is our 15th year, if you will. We've, we've gone through 15 years at Grace Chapel. So this is going to be our year of celebration. We're going to start this morning. So I'm going to show you a video. And then out in the foyer as you leave, we have a cake. We have a, a birthday cake. All right? Hit it. <laughs>